Thomas Merton was a 20th century monk that was quoted saying this to start our Real Spirituality series. Pride makes us artificial and humility makes us real. We need help because we are prideful, prideful people who see ourselves at a place where we expect that we're supposed to do well or we expect that when we make a mistake, it was out of nowhere and it wasn't supposed to happen because we are righteous in some way we think that. I think that. And if it's hard to hear that we're prideful and that we need help, it's hard for me too. But we need to be humbled to be able to let God come in and help us. God doesn't work on a heart that's already fixed. And so for us to recognize our need and to recognize our need for God to come in and fix us, that is our starting point. That's where we can begin. That's where we can begin to desire time with him for the right reasons. I need help. And you need help. And not a person in this room has humbled themselves, humbled themselves enough to recognize their need for the Lord. I know this because if we had actually humbled ourselves to the point of recognizing the fullness of our need, our lives would look different. We wouldn't look the way we look. We wouldn't act the way we act. And we wouldn't carry this need in us hidden if we had actually asked God to help come in and help us. And the people in this room who I look up to the most, the people who have modeled faith and modeled trust and modeled this reliance on the Lord, are the people who will be quickest to tell you that their strength is weak and that they have required the Lord's help and that they are constantly in more need of him. They speak of their need for God's strength more than anyone because they have seen their need. They have been humbled. And they're the people who are the ones who are most embodying prayer, who will fight for every last moment to be with the Lord. They're people who come to our Monday morning prayer before the doors open and stress us out because we aren't here to open the doors yet. Well, most of us, we kind of let these moments pass by because we've already got it figured out or because we don't really need it or because we're busy. That is me. That is my story. I do that a lot. Before anything in us can ever change, we have to be humbled. We have to be comfortable recognizing that we are not fixed yet. That we have not gotten to the point where we are good I have a huge need, and I really ask you to please let yourself experience your need today. David in Psalm 139 wrote this awesome prayer where he said, search me, God, and point out the things in me that are awry, the things in me that are wrong. And if you don't know where to start, maybe that Psalm 139 prayer is a place to start. In a little bit, you'll have a chance to pray that, but I just want to talk through why humility is so important. We have the greatest model of humility there ever was. Jesus describes his own heart as humble and lowly. And it is never a mistake to pray to have our, God, our heart look more like God's. And so to pray to be humble and lowly. Lowly is um, gentle and lowly. I'm sorry. Lowly is to be humble, to be brought low. To pray that prayer, to desire to be like Jesus is great because he modeled humility in a way that changed many of our lives and all of our lives when we let him come in and change it. Jesus Choosing to become man as God, humbled himself to come down here where it stinks. And he walked this world of living perfect and caring for people and putting up with things people were saying over and over again, and then humbling himself to say, I'm okay with letting my life be displayed, letting my death be displayed to thousands. And he humbled himself to die as the one who was only one who wasn't worthy of death. 
And then he humbled himself to let those three days pass before he rose again and showed us his glory. And then he humbled himself again to give the power to us, to give us the Holy Spirit, to then go out and do his work. Jesus' humility is a model to us of what we're supposed to desire. Derek ended last week in repentance. If you still need time to repent to the Lord for any number of things, to let him come in and humble your heart, to bring you near to him and recognize a need in you that you maybe haven't seen, think through repenting of control or maybe avoiding him or being disobedient and ignoring it. Maybe just repenting of being comfortable. You can say, Lord, turn my eyes back to you so that I may be humbled by how great my need is for you. Come in and change me. And I'm not just going to say, go and humble yourselves some other time. We're actually going to spend time right now doing that. In order for us to truly desire time with the Lord correctly, before I can talk about anything else I want to talk about, we have to recognize that the reason we want time with the Lord is not to build up our case for how strong we are as Christians. It's to recognize that our time with him is what changes us from someone who is dead to someone who is alive and someone who is continuing to live in life. And so this next minute and a half, two minutes, we're going to spend in repentance and prayer. So Psalm 139 is going to be on the screen if you want to read that. And we're just going to spend that time on our own. Psalm 25, 8 through 9 says this. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. If we're willing to let ourselves be humbled in his presence, we have hope. We're the sinners in this passage. We're the sinners in need of guidance. We're the sinners in need of direction, in need of time with him. And he guides us in what is right, and he teaches us his way. We need him to teach and mold us to be like him. When I began studying at DTS a couple years ago, the first class I ever took was called Spiritual Formation. I thought Spiritual Formation was the class where I would learn all the things I needed to know to be able to have the right answers, or maybe not like go unorthodox and say something wrong, or maybe just know what I'm supposed to know that's like the secrets behind the church or something. And actually what spiritual formation was, 
was a lot of crying and a lot of confessing and a lot of weeping and a lot of people hugging me and processing things with me and letting me confess things and letting me process hurt. Spiritual formation was the act of giving over the control of my molding to let the Lord mold me. And actually what it is is spiritual, control, spiritual formation is giving control to the Lord to be his clay. I thought I was going to form myself. I thought I was the one in charge who would form myself in the likeness of the Lord. And I would do a very bad job of that. Instead, I recognize spiritual formation is actually letting yourself just be clay. Just be someone who needs to be formed. Just be a ball in need of molding and changing. And when we let God form and move us and change us, he makes us in his image. And I was stubborn. I wanted to prevent it. But I experienced the discovery of what God's heart is. And he began to show me who he was because I took my hands off. That's our mission in Real Spirituality. This whole series is meant to let us be formed to be like the Lord and so that we can see ourselves in light of how he sees us. And then as he forms us and makes us like himself, we will look like him more and more. And the natural result of that will be obedience because what else would we do if we spent all this time letting him change us to be like him? Naturally, we will follow him. If we really want to be for these cities and for all people, if we're serious about caring for the people who are unchurched, if we're serious about caring for the lost and inviting them into hope, we have to look different. We have to look like someone who is so full of love that we can't control it. And I myself am not there yet. <laughs> I am still very selfish. And I am still very worried about what I want and the time I need. But what we can do is we can let the Lord begin to form us by spending time with him, by prioritizing getting time with him to let us be more like him, alongside being committed to being for these cities and praying for people and going on prayer walks and desiring relationships and building up relationships with people on our street and in our workplace or in our school. We can do these things side by side. Actually, doing one without the other would be disobedience. Being obedient would be doing both of these, letting ourselves be formed and then letting ourselves run out towards people who need love. We need to be doing both of them. This is what helps us become people who look like Jesus. This is where our formation happens. And so as I walk through these different formation elements, know that we are not just building ourselves up to be smarter or building ourselves up to look like more strong Christians. We are being formed while we are also running through the last couple series of desiring to know people and desiring to share hope with the lost. These things go together. Much of what I'm about to walk through these last few months has been alongside this book. It's called Embracing the Love of God by James Bryan Smith. And it is a good book. It is not a perfect book but it has helped me walk through letting my heart be softened and letting me spend time with the Lord that is valuable and good. It is not perfect and it doesn't solve God's love for me. I still do not understand it. But it's a great resource if you want to walk through being humbled and learning his love in new ways. I liked it a lot. It was good. Thought I'd mention it. In it, the author describes a list of different spiritual formation practices. Some of these may be new for you and some of these you may have already done but you've yet to do them obediently. And so this is going to be valuable for all of us. And if this is new to you, just process and think through which of these practices may be valuable for you to start with. All of them are good. 
All of them were modeled by Jesus and his disciples and the hundreds of years of people in the church. So we're in good company by trying to practice these. And if you're someone who, who has done these before, please don't hear something like Sabbath and think, oh, I've tried that. It doesn't work and toss it away. And also don't think of Sabbath as maybe a way that you have been taught it that was unhealthy or unhelpful. Let yourself hear these things and think, okay, Lord, what are you doing in me? I'm already being humbled. I already spent this time in prayer. I'm tender. Help me know what you want me to do. And so Smith separates these practices into two categories. One is abstinence, an abstinence practice, and one is engagement and engagement practices. In simpler terms, abstinence is practicing removing things. Oh, my goodness. And engagement is practicing adding things. Abstinence practices are removing things in your life, even potentially very good things, to make space for God to work in you. And so abstinence practices, for those of you who feel very busy and you're like, Tom, I don't have that time in the morning. I don't have time at lunch to get this moment in with the Lord. Abstinence practices are actually removing things to give you a space to meet with the Lord, to have good time with him. So this might be a good start for you. When we refrain from things, we allow God to make us whole. It allows us to be opened up and for the Lord to show us the gaps like David prayed in Psalm 139. And when we remove things, it gives space for him to add something better in place. Gone potentially are the days of running on an empty battery the whole time. You're alive. I am a serial iPhone battery killer. Does anyone else have their phone on 20% right now, even though it is in the morning? Yes, me. I forget to charge it at night, and I'll wake up in the morning, and I will look at it and be sad that it's at 22%, and I will still go to my car because... I have nothing else I can do about it, and I plug my phone into my charger in my car, and my car charger does not actually enhance my battery. It keeps it at the same place. (laughs) It's like it's in a coma all the time. And so my sad phone is in a coma all day, and it might jump down, it might stay at 22 and then jump down to 21, then jump to 20, and this is the worst part of the day, is when it gets to 20, it gives you a notification. And if I have it plugged into my car, it will continue to notify me because it will go from 20 to 19 to 20 to 19 and it'll just say, your phone is low. And it's like, I know it's low. I, don't, I can't do anything about it. That is not just how my phone lives. That is how I live. I am always at 20%, never letting myself be recharged, never letting myself experience peace or rest. Almost just in this state of coma where I am trying to run as fast as I can. And nothing I did was going to change that until I started trying to put some of these practices into place. I had to be deeply, deeply humbled by how unhealthy and ineffective that is to want to change. And so I started trying these things, and I want to emphasize that I have done them very, very poorly. (laughs) I have not figured out any of these practices. But just bringing to the Lord just a little bit of my time and a little bit of my energy and just a little bit of my heart He has over and over again given me rest and refreshed me. So before I start with any of them, know I am right where you are if you were at 20% this morning. (laughs) These practices that are in abstinence are Sabbath, solitude, and silence. I first tried Sabbath because of the book The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Has anyone else read that book? Nobody. It's, it's an awful book to read because it tells you to get in the long line at the grocery store because hurry is bad, and I don't like that. And so I read it, and I recognized all of the hurry in me and recognized that there's something in my heart that doesn't know how to slow down and just sit. 
And so I saw a gap, and so I tried to practice Sabbath, and it was awful. I tried to sit in my chair, and in my head, I pictured like a monk, like humming and like having the spiritual moment with the Lord all day, and that didn't work because I got hungry and distracted. And so Sabbath was a no, and I tossed it out. And then a couple of weeks ago, our small group mentions this book, Ruthless Elimination in a Hurry, and I like winced as we talked about trying to practice Sabbath because I hated it. And they talked about it like it was a good thing, but all I could do was think about how guilty I was for not being able to sit still and like rest. And so our group started trying it, and I'm still really bad at it, and it still kind of stinks, but it's, it's different than what I originally thought it was. A good way of thinking about Sabbath is almost like this idea of stacking pleasure throughout your day. And in the right context, that can be very, very healthy. If you fill your Saturday or your Sunday or your Wednesday with all of these things that give you life and give you rest, it gives you a chance to take away the responsibilities on your shoulders. It gives you a chance to step away from emails and phone calls and work and just worry. And so pleasure stacking can be a place to really, really find rest in the things that the Lord has given you that you enjoy. It should be done carefully, but it, should, it can be a really life-giving thing. Being reminded of God's love in the rest of Sabbath is very, very valuable. I'm going to explain a little bit of where Sabbath started and then talk about more of what we can do. So the idea of Sabbath originated in Genesis where God created the earth in six days. A lot of us know the story. And then on the seventh day, he what? Thank you for participation. I appreciate that. And on the seventh day, he rested because he needed rest. Probably not. He is God. He doesn't need to sleep. But he probably did it to model something for us, model something about the way he was designing us and he wanted us to follow him. This seventh day was built in in some way. And so... He made, he made it a point to rest on the seventh day. And then Jesus, thousands of years later, makes it an emphasis for him that rest is important and that he practices Sabbath. But he doesn't practice Sabbath like a rule. Sabbath is not a rule because Jesus tells us he's the Lord of the Sabbath and he breaks it on multiple times to do good things. Like healing a sick person and like feeding his disciples when they were hungry. And so Sabbath doesn't look the same way as it did in the Old Testament. But we can learn a lot about how valuable the Sabbath is and maybe what the purpose of Sabbath is from the Old Testament. I think we've been given a great disservice if we've been told that all Sabbath is is just a day to rest to make your next week better. There's so much more built into the Sabbath. There's a reason why those Jews in the Old Testament valued it so highly, and they still do. Sabbath is so much more than just a rest day. It's built into the redemptive story as us and the world. And you can see it from the way that Israel celebrated their ceremonies and their um, festivals in their calendar. Here's a couple of things that the seventh day does. Each seventh year, slaves were to be liberated and freed from Israel. Every slave in Israel was set free on the seventh year. Every seventh year, debts were to be forgiven. Every single debt was forgiven. Anything you owed was no longer owed. Each seventh year, the lands were left alone so that they could rest because they recognized that you need the land to rest to be able to keep doing crops. I thought people would cheer or something. I don't know. I don't know Iowa well enough, I guess. Yeah, rest. Agriculture. Uh, <laughs> Sabbath was also just one of seven festivals Israel celebrated, looking forward to this other rest. Their festivals were not just to enjoy moments then. They were looking forward to something. 
and then every seven times seven years, who can do the math? How many years is that? Let's go. Good job. <laughs> you were waiting the whole time for that. That was so good. Um, <laughs> every 47th year was called the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee was this year where everything was forgotten. If anyone had lost their land or gone into debt, all of it was forgiven and everything was restored. If your cat was stolen, your cat was brought back. Everything was restored. Everything was brought back to where it was supposed to be. Do you guys hear the language being used in all of these different festivals and things? The slaves were set free. The debts were forgiven. And everything was restored. Every time they celebrated the year of Jubilee, they were looking forward to this moment that was far greater than just a restful day or a party. Practicing Sabbath actually joins us with these promises. And it gives us a glimpse of our future hope. What a different way of being formed by God that we spend once a week recognizing the eternity of what we are resting in. Where as we are doing things that are restful and enjoyable, we remember we're resting because this is what life is going to look like forever. We're not going to have six more days of the week later. We get to rest in eternity where we are always resting in these promises, where these promises come to fruition. And we are resting with love himself. That's what Sabbath can be. How different would your week be if you recognized all the promises that God made to us every single week? He wants, us to, he wants to mold us so that we can be eternally minded instead of being weighed down by the things we have to do each week. How can we put that into practice? Whose family enjoys being outside? Who doesn't want to go outside for the next four months? <laughs> Sad, right? <laughs> it's kind of a bad example, but we're going to roll with it anyway. Maybe you can go outside for the next week before it gets really cold. Go on a walk together. Enjoy the outdoors. Walk to the mailbox as a family. I guess those mailboxes are right outside your front door. I'm in a condo, so it's farther. You have to go on a little, little bit further. Really great example. Maybe you just like being outdoors, and you can go on a drive when it gets cold. We're going to be prayer walking in December, and it'll become prayer driving because it's too cold. Maybe that's an action you can do with your family where you enjoy being outside. You enjoy driving through pretty roads. Maybe that's rest for you. Do you guys enjoy seeing movies? Who likes movies? I know movies stink right now because of something I don't know about, but like, movies are great. Maybe you go see a movie together as a family. Maybe you make popcorn together or make a pizza together in your kitchen and then go sit down and watch a movie together. Maybe you hate movies, I don't know. Don't do movies, do something else. Maybe you like board games. Maybe you like bubble baths. Run yourself a bubble bath. Get a cool bath bomb and just enjoy that. Do all these restful things. Why, why not do that? Why not make a day just pleasure stacking these things that are restful? And as you do it, recognize the mindset of why we're doing it. We're not just taking a bath because it's been a hard week and we need it. We're taking a bath because we're recognizing the rest that God gives us and that this day is set aside for rest. This day is set aside to thank God for what we have seen and what he is going to do. And so in all of these things, just ask God to show you his rest. When the phones and the worries of the world are away, you can sit and just rest in looking at the people you love and spending time with them and spending time with the Lord. That's what Sabbath is supposed to be. Start small and trust God to form you.
even if it's just an hour. Solitude is something that Jesus also modeled throughout the Gospels. In Luke 5, 16, it tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And in Mark 1, it says, Very early in the morning when it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. When I read these things, I think about how I tend to be in solitude. And me and Derek talk about this a lot because we're both kind of the same way. We'll have a hard week and we'll want me time. And me time includes going off to be alone and trying to rest and being very unsuccessful. Seldom do I ever invite God to process my emotions and my feelings in my me time. That is not what solitude is supposed to be. That's loneliness and isolation. If you've experienced loneliness and isolation, you don't want to do solitude. (laughs) But solitude is something else. Solitude is going off to meet with the Lord about difficult feelings or difficult decisions. Maybe it's about going somewhere you really enjoy to just listen and pay attention. Maybe it's to just read and know that no one will ever distract you. Vanderveer Park is my solitude place. No one ever walks there for some reason. Or it's such a big path they never get to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just sitting at the right spot, but that's a fantastic place where I will not be distracted and I can rest. When we're in solitude with the creator and his world, he shows us himself. The trees, the animals, the sky, the wind, the smells, pictures you remember, stories that come to mind, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Before I moved here, I was processing a lot of hard emotions about potentially leaving Texas and just all these different things. And I went and got a cabin in the woods, which to me felt really woodsy and good and manly. And I went there and I got lonely and tired in like an hour. But (laughs) as I was sitting there, I remember just like sitting and looking, like I was so bored, there was nothing to do. I left my phone in the car. And I remember just sitting there and noticing two trees and they, 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 they had grown differently. One had grown in a couple of different directions, one had grown straight, and I thought, wow, that is so cool. And I sat and I processed that with the Lord for like three hours because I was so bored. And it was so good, and I have a picture of it in my journal, I think about it sometimes because that moment was just really valuable. I would never have looked at those trees if I was not stuck (laughs) in solitude with the Lord. It was important enough to Jesus that he did it. A lot of us know the story of the Garden of the Gethsemane. That's a hard word to say the Garden of Gethsemane, where he went off to be alone before the most difficult thing he ever did of going up on the cross. And he just processed, and he hurt, and he rested, and he complained. But being in solitude was what he needed, and he modeled it. So whatever obedience looks like to you, maybe solitude plays a part. If you need rest, maybe the Lord is drawing you to continue to spend time with him this week in a solitude place. Not in a lonely place or an isolated place, but in a place where it's you and him. Silence often goes hand in hand with solitude, but I think it's worthy of its own place because it fills a different role for me. I've often gotten up in the morning intending to read the scriptures and enjoy it and get life out of it and learn something new and I open it and it is just death and like I can't, I just don't enjoy it. I can't get the scriptures open and have it, be excited about it. And so I'll just sit there and be frustrated with myself and I'd rather like go like clean my floor or like do my laundry, which I hate doing those things. And so scripture is weird that it's below that. And so after doing this for a little while, I'd gotten back from Houston back in August, and I was really hyped up about reading, and I got up this morning, and I tried reading, and it was just awful. And so I had remembered, I heard, I'd heard in a podcast about sitting in silence where as the thoughts come by your mind, like as, whenever we sit down, we just like all of a sudden everything comes to mind. 
And as each thought comes in, to just let them pass by, almost like there's smoke. Like as the smoke goes by, you can't grab it. Just let the thoughts pass through your mind. Instead of trying to push them out and get frustrated with yourself or thinking about things, just let your thoughts pass. And so I sat down and I turned off my AC because it's really loud and I closed my door to my porch and I just sat in silence. And work thoughts come into mind. I was like, man, I forgot to fill out that form for Deidre. And that was unkind of me. So I start getting down on myself. And then I start thinking about my trip back home. And I was like, man, I said that awkward thing at lunch I wish I hadn't said. That was weird. I kind of came in. And then I had the thought of just an old movie I used to like. I was it was probably Marty McFly and Back to the Future or something. So I was probably thinking about Marty McFly. And I let that pass. And then I started thinking about song lyrics that I like. And so I kind of let those linger a little while because I like music. And then I let them pass. And then I started thinking about, like, a random verse I'd memorized in like college, and that passed. Then my mind was just quiet. And I was waiting for the next distracting thought, and it just didn't come. So I'm sitting in silence, and I was like, this is great. It has never been quiet in here ever in my life. <laughs> and I thought, maybe the Lord wants to tell me something. And so I sat in silence, and I listened, just for like five minutes. I didn't hear anything, but I just felt peaceful. It hadn't been quiet in a long time. <laughs> and so I just sat in that silence for another five minutes, and it was probably a total of 15 minutes is what it felt like. And I was like, thank you, Lord, for just letting me feel peace. And then I got up out of my chair, and I got to it, and I was getting ready for work, and it had been over an hour and 10 minutes of me just sitting in my chair in silence. And it was amazing. And I had the most restful day of my life ever. It was so good. I showed up to the office probably like floating, and everyone was like, that's weird. <laughs> but it was great. And you're probably asking yourself, why don't you do that every morning, Tom? I don't know. I probably should. But I'm not yet, so I'm going to share that. <laughs> but it was restful for me, and it was good. And maybe silence is something you can practice. And for some of you parents, silence looks a whole lot different than it does for me, because an hour and ten minutes never goes by without something happening. But like I said earlier, just giving the Lord a little bit of time, just a little bit, bringing him rags, he can make something beautiful out of it. So maybe obedience is putting that into practice. Hear me on this. We are spiritual beings that are unsettled in an earthly world. We need God to speak into the silence and bring rest to our souls. If you are someone who has been changed by God, you are now a spiritual being. You are flesh and spirit. And so you are now a visitor here on earth. Your eternal place is somewhere else. We're supposed to be somewhere else. Home is somewhere else. And so trying to find our rest just here is not going to work. Our souls require something else. Our souls require our spiritual home. We, we need to go spend time in our spiritual home. If I don't go back to Houston and see my parents, one, my mom will be really upset with me, but two, I won't get the refreshment of being able to be there and see the people I love and for them to love on me and care for me and process things with me from an outside perspective. And the same kind of thing happens when we go home to be with the Lord in moments with him, in silence or solitude or in Sabbath. We need those things. Let him give your soul rest the way that you need it as a new creation. Now, I have three practices that are now done through engagement. So those are the ones where you are removing things. Now we are going to be adding things. And you should still listen even if you're busy. It's still very good. Adding these things can give rest in a different way, a good way. The first of these is lament. 
I experienced this for years before I knew what to call it. Lament is this experience of processing a lot of your hurt to the Lord in a list form or just in chaos form and just expressing disappointment and discouragement and hurt and frustration all to the Lord without holding back anything. David does this in 65 of the 150 Psalms. He was a very sad man. And he told the Lord about how sad he was a lot. And so we have a great model of that. These can be very brief and messy if they need to be. If you're someone who bottles up things, they'll probably come out all at once and be really strange and awkward. It could be the way that you end the silent treatment you've had with the Lord is to lament to him about all the things that he has held against you, maybe all the things that he's done against you that just feel unfair. It can be over a loss, over a hurt, or maybe just distance you felt from him. That is what lament can be. And lament is a part of our life, and it should fill our minds and our, heart, and our hearts. The Israelites use psalms in their worship and their encouragement, and 65 of those 150 are songs of lament and sadness and hurt and pain. And so it should be some part, form of language in our relationship with the Lord. Think of it this way. You were never taught to cry. Every parent knows that when a baby comes out, they did not train the baby on how to cry. Babies just know inherently how to cry. We are made to cry. We are made to hurt and feel frustration and voice it. To a human who is not redeemed, crying is the most natural thing ever when they're born. And to someone who is redeemed, lament is that form of crying. It is that spiritual being form of crying because now we have someone to cry to. And so lament is necessary and important. If we just bottle and contain until, and never voice these things, we will just become our hurt. We will just become our frustrations. And we will make those the most important thing we're holding on to rather than hope. If it feels forced or uncomfortable, that is okay. When we bring him the smallest bit of our hurt, we bring him the smallest bit of our energy, he can make something great from it. When we place our rags before him, he is good and kind to make something beautiful out of our mess. And so study. I talked about study earlier. I'm not really good at it. But there's a lot of different ways to study. When I think of study, I think about a psalm that I enjoy going back to read to when I'm resting. I think of uh, when I need a verse to help someone process um, something they're going through and it pops in my mind. I think of going through a book together with someone and the joy of that. Those are the ways I kind of enjoy reading more. I have a harder time on my own. But all of these are study. Whether it's a, mon whether it's a morning, an evening, an afternoon, whether it is in your car and listening to it, there's so many forms of study. Don't let yourself feel like you aren't studying correctly. Study is just desiring to know God's heart through learning. So John 8:32 says this about study. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then Philippians 4:8 tells us, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, th th worthy, think about such things. So whatever study looks like for you, do it. Put the truth in front of you in any form you need. If you need help, ask someone to help you with study. I need to tell you what study is not. Maybe you have been told that study is something that will solve every problem. It is not. Reading the Bible does not make God love you more. Reading the Bible is not the way for God to give you love. 
that you feel like you didn't earn otherwise. It is not a way to appease any disappointment you feel like God has in you. Reading the Bible does not make you feel better about something you feel disappointed about. It will not solve that. Those things are settled in a tomb where a body is no longer there. And study is never going to solve those for you the way that the gospel will and that the way that Jesus does. You are fully loved right now. You are fully forgiven right now apart from any study you do and apart from any actions you do. Your performance does not decide how deeply the Lord loves you and forgives you. He, when he sees you, he sees your son who he loves dearly. You are free, you are redeemed, and you are loved. And so you can study his heart because of those things, not to earn those things. The Holy Spirit wants to guide us and help us in our study in each and every form. So ask the Holy Spirit to help you study. And before I go into our last one, there is one more thing. I want to share a story. Every single promise I just shared about being loved and forgiven and redeemed and cared for, I had totally forgotten just this summer. Here we are. After going on trips with students to move and to mix, after planning environments for students to have spiritual experiences, after doing all of these things, I just found myself so empty and so without energy and so without worship. I remember getting back from our high school trip to Chicago about two in the morning, knowing that I had to get on a plane to Honduras in two hours when we got our cars here. And just to be very honest with you, I was sitting in my car at two in the morning, knowing I had to fly at four in the morning, thinking, how can I figure out a way out of getting on this flight? I was thinking through how I could hide my passport so that I could get in the car and be like, oh no, where's my passport? I lost it. And just being able to sleep for a couple days that's how bad it got. I was just going to lie to people and bail on my team because I was so tired and so empty. I was so far past 20%. I was a dead phone. <laughs> and then I did go to Honduras. I was too tired to have let my scheme work, <laughs> thankfully. And I remember being waking up in the middle of the night sometime around... Um, four in the morning, and I had this beautiful ensemble of two of our mission trip men who were just snoring in perfect unison, <laughs> where when one was loud, the other was quiet, and then when the other was quiet, the other was loud. It was kind of beautiful in a horrible way, <laughs> and I was, I was sitting there stuck, you know, I'm not going back to sleep, and I just felt like I just had to complain, and so I just complained to the only one who was available to hear me, and I just voiced all these frustrations with the Lord, and I told him I thought I was owed this, and I thought this would earn me this, and I just felt so empty because I hadn't gotten all this stuff I thought I was owed, and I went through that list for like an hour, and I was just so mad, and I felt so unseen, and I voiced all these things to the Father, and then I ran out, and I was like, well, what do I do now? And as I was sitting in silence with all of my things voiced and all of them in front of me, I just felt the Lord care for me and just be with me. He didn't answer why those things were going to be solved or how he was going to fix them. He just sat with me. And then I started feeling like I was supposed to give those things away. And so I had shown them to him, but I hadn't given them up. So I began handing them over to him and surrendering control into all these things. And there was five notable things, and I remember those five still. I won't say them, but there were five things that I needed to surrender most. 
And then I got up two hours later with everyone else, and we continued the mission trip, and I kind of forgot about that. I had surrendered, and I had moved on. And then after getting back, I traveled to Houston to see my family, and I was still exhausted. And I barely remembered that two hours, but I knew that I was tender and that I knew something needed to change. I was ready. I was humbled. That night humbled me to recognize I was messed up and I needed help. And three moments stood out to me most while I was in Houston. And all three of them involved me offering my hurt to someone else who could help me process it. And this is what set me up to have a spiritual formation experience at home, was that I invited other people into it. And so I need to really emphasize that we need community to be able to walk through spiritual formation. If we do not invite people into it, we cannot be spiritually formed because we will be isolating ourselves fully. Solitude is with the Lord, and the Lord has given us his people. And so we need their help. And so maybe your obedience is reaching out to people to process your formation with. That's what I needed to do, and so I sat with them. And so my first step of obedience was sitting down with my friend Austin. Austin has been dating my little sister for two years, and I like him a lot. And while he was beginning to show interest in my sister, my sister had told me, like, hey, this guy's about to ask me on a date. And at one point when she was FaceTiming him, I jumped behind it, and I was like, hey, Austin, I know who you are. Do you want to get coffee with me? And he was like, yeah, that'd be great. And so me and Austin got coffee. And for two or three weeks before he asked my sister out, we got to sit down, and he got to be really honest with me, and I just got to be a brother to him and care for him. And it was great. We met up a couple more weeks after that, and I really enjoyed it. And so that time, I was a very helpful person to him, and I was the smart guy. And so I thought, man, I cannot wait to be the smart guy for Austin this time. What does Austin need from me? He reached out, and he wanted to get coffee, and I was like, man, what smart guy verses and smart guy advice do you need from Tom? And so I sit down with him. And he just starts talking about how amazing his summer has been. And he tells me about how faithful the Lord has been and how kind he's been and how close he's felt to the Lord and how the Lord has created this opportunity. And he put him in this community. And he just said, man, I've never been more energized in my life. I've never felt so loved by the Lord in my life. And then he said, how was your summer? <laughs> and I did not have anything to tell him. I said, I'm tired and I need a break. <laughs> and... It was really, really hard to see that the Jesus that he had fallen so much in love with, I had not been spending time with. And it was hard to see that we had done a lot of the same spiritual things, but he had done them in worship, and I had done them because I was supposed to. And I didn't know what to do. So I left that coffee feeling like a hypocrite. And I drove for 20 minutes in silence as I was going to meet with someone else. And I'm so glad I was meeting with someone else, because otherwise I would have just gone and wallowed. I felt awful. And I walk into this next coffee shop to meet with my friend Lee, who just got married last month. I love Lee. I sit down with Lee, and the first thing I do when I walk in, he's sitting down with a Bible in front of him, and he says, Tom, get over here. I have to tell you something. He says, Tom, this is the first thing he says, which is so weird. He said, Tom, we have to abide in the Lord. We need him. We need his love. And then he just opened John 15, and he read th these couple of verses to me. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And I told Lee, I really want that joy. 
and I don't have it. And so he processed that with me, and he helped me heal things that I had held on to, and he encouraged me. And he loved me, and he asked me good questions, and he revealed to me that I was desperately seeking the love of people as opposed to the love of the Lord all summer. That was my big moment of spiritual formation. And that opened my eyes to my need because I needed love. I needed to be brought low so the Lord could show me how much I needed his love. And I flew back the next day, and the next morning I went to go see my friend Bryce. And Bryce was the person I came to at like 5.30 in the morning. And I said, I need you to help me keep me accountable before I can start any of these things, before I can really start abiding in the Lord. I need you to keep me accountable and help me and challenge me and check on me. And so he did that for me, and this is what the next month did for my soul. I practiced study for the first time in months, months. I opened the scriptures just to rest and learn from the Lord. And the scriptures felt like they were shouting at me. And then I began reading Mere Christianity, which I'd gotten like 20 pages into and put down. No one can put down that book. I was messed up. And it was so good, it felt like every day I was sending pictures of pages to friends. I couldn't get enough of the hope that I was reading about. And then I started practicing silence for the first time. And I had that moment where those 10 minutes turned into an hour and 15. I practiced solitude at Vanderveer Park where I loved just getting to rest and eat a red band breakfast sandwich and just feel like the Lord was there with me. And then I lamented a lot. And I spent a lot more time lamenting than I probably spent doing anything else because I still had hurts, frustrations, and I had to re-surrender and re-surrender and re-surrender. And then I tried out Sabbath again, and I am not going to lie, it is still very bad. <laughs> I still check emails. I still wait for work. I still get nervous and stressed, and I still don't really know how to rest. But just the little bit I've allowed has been waterfalls of peace. I look forward to my Saturday morning more than any other day of the week, not just because I'm off, but because I know that that time is devoted fully to spending with the Lord. And it is so good. Even when it is not good, it is good. And after all of those things, after that amazing month, right now, I am struggling so hard to abide. I am struggling so hard to abide. It was the most encouraging month of my life, and it feels distant now because it, life has gotten hard and I have gotten busy and I have stopped making moments. And that brings me to our last spiritual formation practice, which is practicing the presence of God. Each of these experiences were life-giving to my soul because I recognized the reality that God was in them with me. I believed the truth that I had studied, so the study was valuable. I believed that God's presence was with me, caring for me and watching me so that those other things were good. So the moments in the park and in the car and in my office and in conversation, I was always aware of God's living presence and I felt his love for me. I felt his peace and he was forming me. And recently I've stopped recognizing he's there. So these practices have become about me again. They've, been, they've filled my pride and they've made me feel good because doing these spiritual things makes you feel good about yourself. But they have not filled my soul and they have not given me rest. He wants so much more for us than this time with God that's about us. He wants us to recognize our needs so that this time with him can be life-giving and so he can form us to be like him. And so today I invite you to join me as we attempt to abide in the Lord together. As maybe we attempt to abide once again or maybe we attempt to abide for the first time. 
Maybe you've never abided in his love, and maybe every single one of these things I said is new to you. That is so exciting because you get to pursue the Lord and spend time with your creator, and he is opening a door for you to spend, a time, spend time with him in a new way that you may really need. Or maybe you've been trying to follow God on your own, and you recognize that you need to invite other people into that process. Maybe you just need to trust the Lord to begin forming you again because you've been trying to form yourself. All of us have some step of obedience. And the result of being obedient is so worth it because our God is faithful and his promises are true and good. And so I'll tell you what Lee told me to close out our time. Friends, we have to abide in the Lord. We need his presence every single moment. We need it more than anything else in the world. And when we make moments with him, even tiny moments, he makes them huge. He makes them beautiful and he makes them good. And so if you've humbled yourself and you feel tender, the Lord is ready to use you. And the way he uses you in many different ways is in many different places. And when we spend this time with the Lord, as you go and you rest in him, you will be reminded of what he has called you to. So we at BCC close out our time every single week by reading the Great Commission together. So I'm gonna pray for us right now in your moment, and then we're gonna read the Great Commission together, and then we're gonna go out and we're gonna go abide. And so rest with me and let the Lord care for you right now in this week, in this month, in this year. Father, your love is good for us. And Lord, maybe we have become too prideful to recognize that we still need it. And so for each of us who is experiencing this pride, feeling like we are in control or feeling like we have got it covered, help us recognize our need. Help us pray that one Psalm 139 prayer and pray for our need to be shown to, by us, shown to us by you. And Father, for those of us who do not know you and have never abided in you, and who have never been changed by you, and who are still people of the world who are trapped only in flesh. Lord, may they become spiritual beings with you. May they be transformed by the fact that your blood washes them clean of sin and your life gives us life. Lord, if we are burdened or heavy, help us lean into community and get help and support and encouragement. And Father, help us make time to be with you because time with you is good. Help us be humbled so that our time with you is about you forming us rather than us being formed by ourselves. Lord, we trust you with our hearts and our minds. Lead us in surrendering things. Lead us in giving over control. Lead us in just finding joy in moments with you again. Help us practice the presence of you where we can see you in each moment. Do a radical work in our hearts because you are able. Lord, we pray these things knowing that you are near and knowing that your heart for us is huge. Walk with us. Help us take our hands off the clay so that you can form us to be like yourself. We pray all this in your name. Amen.